1: Hey, it's Morgan Lee. You are listening to Quick to Listen. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Ted Olson.
2: Howdy, Morgan.
1: It's always really great when you come in and guest host, so I'm glad you're here.
2: I am excited to be here as well. It's fun. Good. And we got a great topic today because I love numbers, and we got a numbers podcast.
1: woo Not only is it numbers, it's controversy.
2: Oh, there you go. And theology. So it's all stuff I like.
1: Okay. Well, prepare to nerd out all our listeners, and we'll do our best with all these numbers that we know that you cannot see.
2: They can. They just have to go to and and follow along.
1: Okay. So what are we talking about, and who are we talking with?
2: We are talking with Scott McConnell, Executive Director of Lifeway Research. We have talked to Scott... Many times over the years here at Christianity Today, Uh, they do really great uh, research of the Christian world and of the world at large on Christian topics. Hi, Scott. Good morning, Morgan. Good morning, Ted. Hey. So Scott has been at LifeWay Christian Resources for 20 years. He's been uh, heading the national polling that LifeWay Research does for about 10 years Uh, He's written multi-site churches, he's written The Parent Adventure, and he has been a great source for Christianity Today on what is it that Americans and Christians actually believe and think.
1: We understand you got a recent promotion too, Scott.
3: Yes, uh, it's a pleasure to uh, follow in the footsteps of Ed Stetzer, who has uh, taken a position at at Wheaton College, heading up Billy Graham Center for Evangelism there. And uh, so now I'm, I'm directing the work of LifeWay Research and uh really enjoy serving the church by providing some facts on what's what's going on around the church
2: and within the church. So Scott, thanks for coming on to talk about this new study which is on really what people believe, Americans and evangelicals in particular, and kind of what we've highlighted at Christianity Today is evangelical's favorite heresies revisited.
1: So We're going to be talking today about research that Lifeway did for Ligonier Ministries that was released earlier this month on the state of American theology in 2016. So they did this massive study that they looked at the beliefs of 3,000 adults and their agreement with a set of 47 different statements on Christian theology.
2: And it's an update to one that they did a year ago, also with Ligonier. So some similar questions, some new questions.
1: Well, one of the changes that they made is that they looked at evangelicals by belief rather than having them categorize themselves. And so there are 586 people in the survey that are classified under their belief set as evangelical. And so we're particularly looking at those beliefs of the evangelical groups. So... There's a lot that I really want to unpack when it comes to looking at the definition of evangelical and kind of what these various beliefs are and and, and giving our listeners a broader sense of all the different questions that you guys looked at in the survey. Before we proceed any further, though, I want to give Ted and me some time to just like react and give a gut check. So to do that, I'm just going to share a couple of the results for evangelicals' perspectives on this, and then Ted and I are going to give our opinion about that. And then we'll we'll kind of resume with our conversation, or we'll just kind of go into outrage mania. We'll see. Some of the statements that Lifeway looked at here, um, one of them was, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 71% of evangelicals agreed with the statement. There was another statement, the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. 56% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Another statement on here, my local church has the authority to withhold communion and excommunicate me. And that was asked of evangelicals attend church at least once a year, and that's 57% of them. And then even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 48% of evangelicals agreed with that. Ted, as you were looking and reading over some of these findings, give us your visceral reaction that you had.
2: When I heard that LifeWay and Ligonier were coming out with this uh, new survey, I, I, I will admittedly say my gut reaction was, woohoo, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of things that people say about, like, evangelicals think this and evangelicals think that, and, you know, we get pitches all the time about these really broad strokes, oh, the problem with the church today is people don't believe, blah, blah, blah. And so I get really excited when there's actual numbers to talk about and when you can actually see some divides, like, yes, evangelicals do all agree about this thing. And here's some areas where we need to work on. So for me, whenever I see, you know, an actual good study with numbers, I go into numbers geek out mode. And it takes me a while before I would get into a kind of like outrage mode of, oh, I can't believe so many evangelicals are wrong about X.
1: Well, this may be a terrible thing to admit, but I read through some of these things and I said, oh, that's heresy if you believe that. So one of them that I did not know was heretical was people have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. And one thing that's nice about our write-up of the study, which we linked to, is we actually have some footnotes in here about the specific council that examined this belief and then determined that it was heretical. Sure. And so you can kind of do some of your own research to to learn the background of that. But I actually kind of found it a little bit more <laughs> spiritual formulating in my life than I than I anticipated it was going to be. So this week we are celebrating Christianity Today's 60th anniversary, and so we have a bunch of stuff that's from the original issue that is up on the site right now that we encourage everyone to read. And if you get a copy of the October issue, you will see an editorial that was in the original CT 60 years ago. And you can support all of that and help us keep going for hopefully another 60 years by subscribing to our publication. Um, And $10 a year will get you 10 issues, the tablet and PDF editions of each issue, and you can access all the different archives, which go back to 1956, obviously. So if you want to get that rate, it's orderct.com slash listen orderct.com slash quick to listen. Let us jump back over to heresy.
2: But before we do that, since we're going to talk about evangelicals and what their favorite heresies are, Scott, tell us a little bit about the change in classifying evangelicals. We, We ran a big CT article on this a few months ago, but tell us how you're counting evangelicals now.
3: Sure. Researchers use three or four different methods to define evangelicals, and each of them has their merits. Uh, one of them is to look at what denominations somebody considers themselves belonging to, and some of those denominations are classified as evangelicals, some are mainline, some are historically black denominations. Uh, another way to classify folks as evangelical is to let them self-identify. Do they accept that label? Do they say, I am an evangelical? Christian, and uh, we've used both of those definitions in the past. Uh, But especially in conversations with the National Association of Evangelicals, they were raising concerns that in our culture today, that term evangelical can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it would be really helpful if research kind of pinned people down uh, and found out what they actually believe. Now, we can't ask them about all beliefs, but there's four that we landed on uh, in working with their theologians at National Association of Evangelicals and in testing it with Americans. And those four things are whether people uh, strongly agree that the Bible is the highest authority for their beliefs, whether personal evangelism is very important to themselves sharing their their faith in Jesus Christ, and whether Jesus' death on the cross was the only way to cancel the penalty of sin, and whether Jesus is the only way for eternal salvation. So those four elements um, are kind of the common ground of, of what evangelical teaching has been uh, through American history. And so that's kind of the common ground that we're going to classify somebody as having evangelical beliefs if they strongly agree with those four items.
2: And they can't just agree, right? They have to
3: strongly agree with those They have things. to strongly agree. And that's regardless of what denomination. So there, there are people who attend mainline churches who agree with these. There are people who attend Catholic churches who agree with these and people who agree who, who may not attend church at all. Agree with these, and so it's it's a belief definition, but it's kind of finding that common ground, knowing that there are other theological issues and, um, and biblical issues that 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 this same group of people is going to disagree on.
2: One of the things that jumped out at me of this survey was that only half of those with evangelical beliefs identify as evangelicals, and only about roughly half of self-identifying evangelicals strongly agree. Uh, with all four of those statements. Was that a, was that a surprise to you?
3: No, we, we've seen across these, these three different definitions that uh, 40 to 50 percent of the, the people actually change as you move from one definition to the next. It, it's kind of remarkable that belonging, you know, self-identifying as being in a denomination or, or accepting that evangelical label does not always fit with belief. And sociologists actually look at three things: they look at belonging, they look at belief, and they look at behavior in trying to describe somebody's uh, religious uh, activity and affiliation. Because each of those three things contribute to how how we live our lives and whether religion actually impacts um, our life. Just in our conversations with theologians and actually just looking at data on on surveys, uh, we found that that beliefs are a better indicator of. Uh, in in this case, of of Orthodox Christian beliefs, but in other cases we see that the responses across these three groups actually don't differ that much. Um, But we feel like it's a better starting point to say, you know, people that share a common set of, of, of beliefs, at least on the most important things, where do they stand on things going on in our culture today? Where do they stand, in this case, on on, on some, some biblical principles, some, bi- some theological principles? Because one of the things we find is that, for instance, African-Americans are much less likely to accept the evangelical label. So they will be much less likely to self-identify as evangelical Uh, And a lot of the reason there is because that label has so much political baggage with it that they don't necessarily agree with or identify with. And yet when we ask about beliefs of all the ethnicities, African-Americans are much more likely to have evangelical beliefs than any other ethnic group in the United States.
1: One of my questions for you, Scott, then is like, should the results of this survey of, of how evangelicals answered these 47 statements in any way lead to a, a change in the definition of evangelical?
3: I don't think so. Obviously, we'd be we're going to be open in in the years ahead to continue to look at at how that works in research and and to stay in touch with theologians to make sure that they're they're pleased with how it's working. But the fact is that the the, the four elements there we didn't just invent uh, a year ago when we did that research. Uh, they, they actually uh, line up with a lot of historic research on evangelicals, uh, but. Bevington has, has something called the Bevington Quadrilateral, where, you know, as he was describing evangelical teaching years ago, uh, he kind of said there's kind of four elements. And, and you know, our wording isn't exactly the way he described things in his wording, but it really hits the same elements of, of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, the importance of of God's Word, not a, just as a good piece of literature, but as something that guides our life, and the fact that as evangelicals, we believe this is not a message for us to keep to ourselves, but that we personally need need to be sharing this message with others of what Jesus Christ has done for us those are essentials and you know one of the things this study does is it shows how shallow uh, many people's beliefs are and and that we uh, you know the fact is that that god 's message to us and god 's relationship with us is really a beautiful tapestry, and each of those threads of belief and and love and uh relationship are woven together in a way that it, it takes an individual really loving God enough to to want to know that whole message and want to understand how that fits together and uh you know sometimes a as Christians in America, we're we're so busy running from one thing to the next that we're we're not stepping in there and really looking closely at at how this relationship with God works. And I, I think we see that in uh you know kind of the variety of responses on this survey where people are in the right place theologically on, on several questions and then, you know, completely missing it on another.
2: Yeah, it was interesting to me to see that just because someone has a belief you would think would correlate to another very, very close belief that it could be a big gap. So, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to strongly agree that the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe to be considered uh, an evangelical. And then so it makes sense that 95% of evangelicals say the Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. Those two statements seem to be almost synonyms to each other. But then when you ask how many people agree that, quote, the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses, uh, nearly a third of evangelicals say, oh, yeah, you know, each of us gets to decide what the Bible uh, really says.
3: You know, we live in a culture where we're able to customize everything else uh, to the way we want it. And there's a lot of Americans and a lot of people in the church today that feel like they can do that with their faith as well. And probably, fortunately, uh, you know, that's not the way God designed it. There are immutable characteristics of who God is and how he relates to us that that we don't get to pick and choose, and we don't get to rearrange how that works. I, I do think that as, as people read these questions, uh, you know, a word is—a a single word can be incredibly important to theologians. And— you know for a lot of americans that don't understand the nuances you know the rest of the sentence sounds pretty good and and so they'll tend to agree with some of these heresies because it it includes several things that they want or, or you know they want a better relationship with god they just missed that that it was a heretical way to have that peace with god uh, in the statement um and so you know for a lot of americans they're not They're not looking for the thing that's not correct uh, in the statement, even though obviously that was the exercise was to look at these 47 statements and to, to indicate what they agree with, where they're at.
2: Yeah, and it seems like a lot of those statements also people might have been assenting to what they thought was you know just a generally positive statement about God. But you know the the idea that people have the ability to turn up to God on their own initiative in some ways that sounds like a positive statement. You know, Correct. like like oh yeah, that sounds sure that sounds good. I will I will I will agree with that. Or a, a amazingly high percent, seventy one percent of people said Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. So a theologians going to say. The problem word there is created. God did not create Jesus. But a respondent might say, oh, you know, might be responding to the word greatest and say, yeah, Jesus is the greatest thing ever. You know, and so that that may have been what prompted them to agree.
1: It's almost like if you're you're taking a test and you're not sure, well, one of those things is true. So (laughs) (laughs) should I agree with the part that is true? Not understanding that you're missing the larger point about the sentence being untrue.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I remember as a kid... Uh, I had this this moment, uh, I think we were coming back from like swimming lessons or something like that. I was in the back of the car talking with a friend of mine, we got to talking about God, and the mom who was driving us around, like, pipes up and's like, Wait, did you say Jesus is God? And she's like, Jesus isn't God and I'm like, Okay, this is someone who goes to church every week. This is a little bit surprising to me. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, Jesus is God. Like that's kind of the point. And she's like, no, don't you know, don't you know that what the Trinity, like the Trinity, God, the son and the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't say God, the son and the Holy Spirit if the son was God. And I'm like that. That is not how it goes. Yes, <laughs> you know, so I just thought sat silently in the back thinking, do I do I correct? I was a kid. So I was like, I'm not going to correct my friend's mom in the back of the car. Uh But I think that, you know, she she had this. uh calculation in her head that was in error. She wasn't a Jehovah's Witness or something like that. She was going to a, an Orthodox church. She just was mishearing and misunderstanding week after week after week after week. But I'm sure there's a lot of people who are probably in that mode. What do you think, Scott? Is it a hearing problem? Is it a speaking problem? Is it a, is it a problem that exists you know outside of Sunday mornings? Where Where's the communication fail here?
3: I think there's there's kind of a wake up call on a couple levels. I, I think uh, one is you know let's think of the experience that that churchgoers would have in common. That would be that Sunday morning worship time. It's so easy as a church attendee to take each one of those sermons as a standalone lesson, and we miss the fact that they all go together. Uh, it's it's one message from God to us through His Word, and and to understand how those pieces fit. The, the, the theological principles on this survey, if you go to the typical church has a beliefs page on their website, most of these items are on that page. You know, we glance at those, you know, we see the, the key words like God, man, sin, salvation, and we think we know those things. But it's how how do each of those fit together is what we often miss. So I think we we miss that on a Sunday morning if we're if we're in church. But then also you know churches uh, have been scaling back and kind of simplifying in recent years, and so many churches don't have a systematic way of of teaching uh, and discipling believers when they used to have an evening time or a, a midweek time where they they spent more time connecting the dots doctrinally. And and so without that systematic uh, teaching, um, except you know most churches still have something for children, whether it's confirmation or whether it's you know some programming where they're catching some things. Uh, most adults don't have that, and so I, I think we neglect the fact that as adults we still have some things to learn. And frankly, there's benefits to learning these things. I think w- when we understand who God is, uh, we're going to worship Him more. You know the fact that Jesus has always existed. Wow. You know, let's let's praise him for that and you know celebrate that he's the ancient of days. And when we see how God's relationship to us that he's taking the initiative, you know, he's he's expressing his love for us uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To me that that just that that draws my heart to his heart you know doctrine in and of itself is words on a page but when i understand who it's describing and this relationship that it's describing it draws me to god
2: sure
0: this episode is brought to you by church salary coming up with a reasonable salary range for church staff has never been easy There are so many details to consider before setting compensation for church staff, and you're probably asking yourself questions like, are we paying too little or too much? What benefits do we offer employees? What's a reasonable housing allowance? Church Salary believes that offering competitive and fair compensation helps keep people in ministry. Using the expansive church-specific compensation database and powerful salary calculator tool, you can also make better compensation decisions so your staff can focus on their ministries. Start with Church Salary's annual membership today to run unlimited customized reports and get access to our member-only content. Ready to start making better compensation decisions? Get started at churchsalary.com.
2: Some indication in the survey that churches... May you know could be teaching this, and the people in the pews just disagree, you know, and so we we'll, we talked earlier about this idea that only I have the ability to decide what the Bible says uh to me. There's also my local church has the authority to withhold communion and excommunicate me fifty seven percent of evangelicals agree, uh but a very high percentage of evangelicals disagree and say no the church the church does not have the authority to discipline me. the church does not have uh the authority. To you know, tell me what to think. Uh, and this was this wasn't just asked of evangelicals, but this was asked of evangelicals who regularly uh, attend church. So, uh, is there an indication here that people are saying, "Well, that's fine for you to tell me, you know, this doctrine," but I just disagree with you.
3: Absolutely. That, that's why we're asking their their agreement with these questions is to to understand where they're uh, where they're at right now. And um, I, I think sometimes in church we don't have settings where people can express disbelief or or to or where they can question things, and so we we never have the conversations about the things that we have doubts about and things that, that we're questioning, I think we've got to look for those opportunities, whether that's in, in our small group communities or whether it's, uh, you know, another time that, that the pastor sets up where we can be asking the pastor those questions. People are, are going to doubt some things because it, it's, you know, our ways are not God's ways. And so so some of these are going to hit us kind of funny when we, when we first read them in Scripture or hear a pastor talk about them or see them on a website.
1: Yeah, I think that Going back to when I was sharing in my own gut check about how I felt like some of the stuff on here was a spiritual tool for myself, just to kind of think about the various principles that are out there and um some of these theological points are not stuff that I think about every day or even every single week at church, and so to have them all laid out and have to kind of evaluate how I stood or if I had even felt on some of that stuff recently was helpful for me. Ted, do you want to share your good news?
2: yeah I mean, Scott, I'd be curious to, to hear a little bit Well, you well you saw some of the good news here, but it it was interesting to me to see uh, that when you talk about Americans overall, two thirds of Americans say that there is a God who answers you know very specific prayers, um seventy percent say, yeah there's there's one one true God. In general, there's a lot of orthodox beliefs that Americans generally assent to. Uh, was there anything else that you thought, oh well, hey, that's that's pretty good.
3: Well, it, it's definitely helpful when we look at the responses of Americans to, to understand what they already believe that might fit with with biblical teaching, uh, because if if we're trying to reach somebody who's not a Christian, we're going to want to know where to start the conversation. And so knowing that th- that two-thirds of Americans believe there's one true God and, in fact, uh, believe in the Trinity, you know, that, that's a helpful thing. We can start a conversation there, but we also have to be aware that that means about one out of three people. Are not on that page, and we're going to have to start the conversation a couple steps even further back. Obviously, scripture is a very important thing to us. You know, we've got almost half of Americans saying the Bible is 100% accurate. So, for you know, conversations with them, obviously, we can we can be referring to scriptural truths frequently, and they're going to be uh, you know they might be curious. They're going to at least be leaning toward believing what what the scripture says. But for the other half of Americans, you know, they may be b- believe in God, but they may not necessarily necessarily take everything that he has said in his word as, as fact.
1: So I think we've kind of talked a bit, Scott, about what this research can reveal. I'm wondering if there's any words of caution that you might have for lay people and for church leaders about how to use this data
3: you know, for most of these topics that we hit here, we just ask a single question. So, you know, one of the limitations is uh, we're not going to catch every angle on this. And uh, the other thing we're not catching is necessarily why people agree or disagree with each of these statements. As you've mentioned, Morgan, you know, this this will cause some people to pause a little bit. And I think that's a great opportunity to start a conversation, whether it's just one-on-one with a friend or whether it's, uh, you know, in your small group at church, go ahead and talk about some of these things, you know, knowing that we're not going to have every piece of information you're going to want on that doctrine. You know, it is a statement that gives us an accurate idea, um, at least with this wording of each statement, you know, where people stand, you know, knowing that some of these doctrines are even more complex uh, if if we were to write them all out.
1: For a pastor at a local church, is there any particular um, emphases or part of this data that you think would be particularly helpful um in regards to how they're going to minister to the congregation
3: the pattern of jesus's teaching was uh you know he you know broadly speaking he had two kinds of sermons, and it depended on who he was talking to uh He had the sermons of repentance uh and describing the kingdom of heaven to kind of the crowd and 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 to people around him, but he also had sermons of condemnation to those who were in the church whose theology was off, who didn't understand how this relationship with God worked. They thought that they earned it. And I I think pastors have to be thinking of both of those as well. They've got to be thinking that there's going to be people in the pews that, you know, uh, as we looked at some numbers earlier, they may believe in God, but they're not necessarily trusting the Word of God yet. And and there's also people in the congregation that are really on board with a lot of the theology, um, but they're still customizing their faith the way they want it. And so, you know, they they really have to look for opportunities as they go in different passages of Scripture uh, to, to look at what Scripture says to those things of, of how can we get off base, get off the path one direction or the other, to make sure they're addressing those things on a regular basis and, and and challenging the fact that we can't pick and choose uh, how this relationship with God works.
2: It was surprising to me, just in terms of the one consistent doctrine area that people seem to to be missing, was the Holy Spirit. 56% of evangelicals say that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. Um, you know, he, it is definitely—I uh, I can understand, you know, there being some level of misunderstanding. You know, Jesus says, you know, uh, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must, you know, uh, must worship in spirit and in truth. And maybe people are thinking of that verse as they answer that, but uh, clearly the consistent teaching of Scripture and of the Church uh, throughout two thousand years of history is you no, know, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, three, you know, God in three persons, uh, Blessed Trinity. Uh, the Holy Spirit is is a person. Uh, that's that's one one of several areas that people seem to misunderstand uh, the Holy Spirit. And I don't know that if if we're talking about majorities getting this wrong, I just think that to me was one area that thought, you know, I maybe haven't heard that many um, uh, sermons, uh, even even at a, a somewhat charismatic church, just on kind of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you know, who is and kind of talking about the Holy Spirit, especially as as person as as something more than just force.
1: So you think that this particular one, and maybe some other ones, there's like larger systemic things yeah, in your churches. Yeah, if, if
2: I were a pastor, I'd probably look at this and say, well, time to do a sermon series on the Holy Spirit.
1: Any other sermon topics you would include, Ted?
2: Well, you know, uh, most evangelical churches, a lot of them are, are preaching salvation week after week, and I think it is important uh, on the basis of some of these uh, results to communicate, you know, what, what, is, what, is, what does it mean to uh, accept uh, God's offer of salvation through Christ—you know—is acceptance a work? And I think that uh, the emphasis on uh, come to Jesus, turn to Jesus—some uh, of those, you know, the, the call to repentance is a is a is a real biblical call. But also, I think how we phrase that in terms of it—that itself being an act of grace, that itself being something that God is is doing in you. I think if I were a pastor who was regularly making altar calls, regularly calling people to repentance and to accept God's offer of salvation, to continually emphasize that God God's offer is grace, grace alone—
1: any sermon series, suggestions, Scott?
3: Definitely the Holy Spirit topic is an important one. Uh, you know, scripture says that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And if if people aren't understanding the Holy Spirit as as a, a personal being, as 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 God fully divine, you know, we're we're missing out on, you know, the comforter that Jesus promised us to be. To be helping us understand all this theology and to understand these principles. You know, I, I think some of the things that have been trite sayings of the Church, like, uh, you know, Jesus saves and Jesus arose, we really have to take those deeper and explain what those mean, because there are many Americans that believe Jesus saves, but I don't need saving. Jesus arose, but it wasn't for me. And, and so we really have to connect what those those simple two or three word truths. How do they fit with me and and, and my relationship with God? And uh, the reality is that that every one of us has sinned, and we desperately need the payment for that sin that Jesus made on the cross.
1: All right, last one that I want to get at before we wrap is that more than a third of evangelicals said that God will always reward faith with material blessings. Was anyone surprised by that? I guess when I think about that statement, it definitely seems to ring with prosperity gospel overtones, and at least many of the evangelicals that I know would love to, often love to publicly repudiate the prosperity gospel. So I don't know if that 37% number felt high to anyone, or if that just because it was in the secret of people being able to answer this survey privately, we got something else that came out
2: the the word that threw me is that always god will always reward faith with material blessings. you know that that to me is the the thing that would get me to say no, i strongly disagree. but at the same time, um i do have friends who they are rightly very concerned about the prosperity gospel. and so they might be very quick to say, you know, no, god does not reward faith with material blessings. and i think that that would be a problem too. i uh, there, the reaction in some evangelical circles to the prosperity gospel, I think, can uh, privilege kind of a, a upper middle class uh, view of things and re- reject a lot of Scripture's teaching that like Jesus is with us and and working with us and and blessing us in various ways today, uh, right now. It's not all eschatological. Um, it's not all uh, in the future. It's not all kind of heaven focused. There is. Um, something about your life now that God is working working through now there he may bring trials um, that may be an area where he grows your faith but there seems to be a consistent scriptural witness that there is that there are material blessings that God is giving that that God is giving today without falling into the excesses, the dramatic heretical excesses of the prosperity gospel, which is manipulating God by saying if you kind of pray this prayer or give this much, or God is obligated to do this or this or this in your life. That's that's a horrible heresy.
3: One of the things that's missing in American theology today is is teaching and and really an understanding of of the doctrine of suffering and and understanding that part of of our experience with Christ uh, is that there will be suffering in this world. And that's despite the fact that we have faith, that's despite the fact we might be obedient to God. And uh, definitely scripture talks about a lot of blessings and a lot of benefits of of walking with God. Uh, because when we're following the paths that God laid out uh, when he designed the universe, you know, we're going to avoid some harm in our lives and we're going to have have some good things. But as Ted mentioned, you know, when we cross that line into saying, because I've done these things for God, he's obligated, uh, he owes me, uh, you know, That's completely heretical. That's not the way the relationship works. So yes, there there are definitely some blessings we're going to receive in life, and and we need to be thanking God for those. But there's also going to be some suffering uh, in our lives, and we need to be thanking God for for those tests and and trusting Him in those moments of weakness. Those can be some of the most rewarding times when we look back on them, because those are times of growth uh, in our relationship with God. You know, sometimes we don't always see the benefit of why we suffered. Um, but at the same time, you know, being faithful through those times is is an important part of walking with God and calling Him our God and being His people.
1: All right. Well, thank you to you both for chiming in on this discussion. We invite all of our listeners to continue the discussion, as always, on our social media channels. We're on Twitter at CT Podcasts. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash ct podcasts yeah there's a lot of good stuff in this research that lifeway has done so dig into it everyone now it's the time of the show we call precious moments i'm asking everyone here to share something that made them happy in the past week also share with our listeners where they can find you as well can i throw it to you scott sure
3: um Probably the happiest news I got in the last week was uh, we've been searching for a, a new member of our t- our research team, and I got the news that a gentleman accepted uh, an offer to join our team. And so searching for folks, you know, uh, and especially in, in the research world, it's not a huge group of people in America. You know, finding somebody who's good at research and who understands the church, was that was exciting.
1: Awesome. Where can people find you?
3: Uh, you can find our research at lifewayresearch.com. And I'm on Twitter most days at smcconn, S-M-C-C-O-N-N.
2: Great. And I was going to say, we also are hiring uh, at Christianity Today. Uh, we are looking for a new print managing editor. So go to our website. Actually, for that one, don't go to ChristianityToday.com, but instead go to ChristianityToday.org. You can read all about our search for the next Print Managing Editor of Christianity Today. Uh, Come work with Morgan and me, and it will be super fun. Or if you know someone who would be uh, really good for that uh, position, please let them know. I am at Ted Olson, uh, that's O-L-S-E-N, on Twitter. My happy moment of the last week was uh, my wife has received a fellowship that will take us uh, to Kenya for four months, where she'll be studying uh, financial inclusion. Uh, trying to reach the uh, bottom of the financially active uh, pyramid. It's going to be a great research project, and I think it'll be great uh, to uh, live in Kenya for four months. I'll still be working for Christianity Day, doing my work. We're still figuring out the details of how all that will work out. Have you ever been to Kenya? I've been to Southern Africa, but not East Africa. I have a lot of friends in East Africa that will be fun to uh, connect with, but uh, no, I've never been there, so this will be great.
1: And you're going to move into a city, right?
2: Yeah, we're living in Nairobi. Uh, we will be living and working closely with uh, some of our friends from Nairobi Chapel, and our kids will be attending the Nairobi Chapel School there, and uh, it'll be it'll be fun.
1: My precious moment for the week was going to the Museum of Science and Industry in. Chicago on Saturday, we got free tickets, but the only place. problem was is that we arrived at one fifteen, and the museum closed at three o'clock for some special fancy event. So we really didn't get to do as much as I wanted to do. Did
2: you do the submarine? Because the submarine's amazing. I did the coal mining. The coal mine. Well, that's fun, scary, and so dark. They, uh,
1: the Museum of Science and Industry, actually brought an actual coal mine into their museum. And I learned that the miners who worked on that coal mine were the original miner guides. Instead, we had some 20-something just give us pun after pun after pun. It was almost unbearable. But the actual coal mining experience was was pretty interesting and also gave me a lot of respect for coal miners. Um listeners, you can find me at M E P A Y N L. That is it for this week. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you to Cray Allred and Richard Clark for producing the show. We will see everyone next week. Bye.